When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. The Buck Off Podcast with Lane Grant. Hosted by Christopher Rennie and joined by Jordan Williams. Welcome to everybody, this is your host Christopher Rennie bringing you another episode of the Buck Off Podcast with Land Grant, Holy Land. If you can't hear it in my voice already when this is released, it is game day eve. Ohio State's playing Notre Dame week one, top five AP matchup. How are we doing today, Jordan? I don't think you got to ask, and I don't think I got to answer. Yeah, you, I mean, you answered for me with uh, the intro. It's it's one of those it's one of those days, you know. It, or, like we record on Thursdays, but like I, I felt the energy around campus today. College game days set up. Um, you know the parking lots are full. I saw tailgaters getting set up. Uh, you know the energy the energy is getting high. I think you could really actually start feeling the aura in the air of an Ohio State college football season in Columbus. And I was just sitting there, you know, today thinking to myself, I'm like, you know what? Like throughout the whole summer, I'm like downplaying like the first game, you know, Ohio State's got to come out tough. I'm like, now I'm thinking to myself like, nah, this is a huge game. This is going to be a lot of fun for people. This is a top five matchup against Notre Dame. And like, regardless of how you feel about Notre Dame on the field, they're they're a name. That's a name game. Yeah, it, it is. And uh, the best part about it is for the uh, talking heads, it's going to be a good week when Ohio State absolutely destroys them. Yeah, you know, I think it's interesting. Uh, Vegas has Ohio State favored by 17 and a half points. I tweeted this out last week, but the final line going into the game for Ohio State versus Minnesota was 13 and a half points. So that means... Las Vegas thinks Ohio State has a better chance to beat Notre Dame than it did Minnesota last year on the road. And that that's 
that's not like crazy to me. Just kind of giving all the circumstances, you know, last year's game was a Thursday game. This is a Saturday night primetime game. Like it's hard not to have your team prepared for that. But it is still a little wild that Notre Dame is getting four more points than the Minnesota Gophers. Um, I don't know. I, I can't even comment on that. I don't know how betting works. I'm going to learn eventually. I'm going to learn eventually. I'm going to believe you that it's crazy, though. You've got till, uh, what is it, January 1st, and then you got to know everything because it's going to be, it's here. Or no, I have till September whatever of next year because yeah. I'm only I'm probably only going to bet on football uh, yeah and if not if you guys don't want to listen to us uh, MC and J our guy Brett land grant feed he, he's got solid picks so go check him out yeah, he, he, he did really good last year I don't remember the number I saw the percentage he did significant so uh, if you're actually putting money on it hey, I think I would check him out yeah absolutely but yeah I mean I, I I don't even know where to start you know it's our first season show so it's not like we have a lot of we don't have any recap to do it's been a long summer it's been a long off season you know I think where I want to get started is just that feeling you know Ohio State season last year you know we've heard the conversation about it 11-2 Rose Bowl champs the season was still a disappointment, you know. I, I know for most programs, they'd see that as a as a success. Uh, they say Ohio State fans are spoiled. The expectations are high, and I was talking to my brother about this on the phone today. It's like when I was in school, Ohio State had what was it, four or five consecutive Big Ten championships. They made it to the college football playoff twice. It felt like the expectations were. It wasn't really like, hey, this is exciting, this is happening. It's like expected that this is going to happen. And I think this year there's going to be a refreshing sentiment from fans because it's been so long since the expectations have been questioned or challenged. And now fans and the football team and the Ohio State Buckeyes were humbled a little bit last year. And I think that's going to bring in another sense of energy that – just makes this season that much better. I think there's going to be much more pride. I think there's going to be much less like, hey, this this sucks. I think there's still going to be high expectations, but I think there's still there's going to be much more appreciation for what happens on the field when Ohio State wins. Uh, I think if you have the defense too much faith in Ohio. Yeah, I think you have too much faith in Buckeye fans, but like, I like what you're trying to say. Buckeye fans appreciating a win? Huh, I don't know about that. I'm not saying everyone will. I know we always – it's always the – we talk in the extremes. We've got the haters, and then we've got the, the fans who hate everything. Then we've got the fans who see everything through scarlet-colored lenses. And then there's that middle ground. And I think that middle territory is where we're going to see that resonation a little bit more. Side note. Uh, Penn State versus Purdue is about to start, and it is very weird to see Urban back on camera. Yeah, like nothing, like nothing happened. I, I uh, yeah, he's. I, I made the joke a few weeks ago. Uh, he's gonna do his TV. You know, he's gonna be good. He's gonna explain to Larry and like uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota, how the zone read works. Then everyone's gonna be like, you know what? This Urban guy got a bad rap, and he's gonna be fine. But I, I don't want to. I don't want to go too deep into uh, that rabbit hole today. We've got 
Ohio State football yeah. to talk about. But that, that is things to talk about. That is an interesting connection. Notre Dame, Ohio State, a lot of these coaches have intertwined on staffs. You have Marcus Freeman, he played at Ohio State. You had Al Washington, he coached at Ohio State. The list goes on. Coaching is a nice way to put it. Yeah, you've got a long list of that stuff. Tony Alford coached there. Uh, we were just talking about Urban Meyer. He coached at Notre Dame and ended up being the head coach at Ohio State. Like, It feels like there's so much interconnection between the two schools, and that's not just their geolocation. Like The histories intertwine. Like The level of expectations for each program have intertwined for so long. And like I was listening to podcasts this week and people were just like, like one of the Buckeye talks was about the King of the North in college football. And it's like, there's three teams that I think could lay a legitimate claim to it. Like historically, uh, there's one team who could lay claim to it recently. And those teams are Ohio state, Notre Dame and Michigan. And like the intertwining of their histories all are incredible. And that makes this game. It's not, a rivalry, but in every sense of everything else, like it has that feel to it because of the location, because of the history, because of how much of it gets intertwined. Like it's crazy. It's going to be in electric atmosphere. Uh, Notre Dame fans, you know, if they are as well off as Marcus Freeman makes it seem that Jay-Z money that comes out of Notre Dame, uh, there's going to be some here with those pricey tickets. So, I, I'm just I'm just talking. I'm excited. Uh, let's get some structure to this thing going. Uh, yeah, I got a question, and this is a good chance to maybe educate some people because I think I disagree with you. So I get the the history and the lore and that kind of stuff, but has Notre Dame ever actually been on the field product as good as Ohio State or Michigan Michigan nationally? Like, like historically, I feel like they yeah. have it. So they have the new Rockney. And if it was, it was in was like historic. 1900. Like. Yeah. New Rockney in the late 20s, early 30s, prehistoric times, obviously. We make fun of Michigan for going back to those times all the time. But, you know, Lou Holtz was good. Ari Parsegian was good. Uh, they had like a good run there from like the 70s, 80s, early 90s. And then. But like I, I don't know what is it on Ohio State and Michigan's level though. Yeah, I knew they were good, but like King of the North type thing, like yeah, that's like that's, a, like Ohio State has almost never had a losing season. They're one of few programs that is literally like impossible to corrupt. Yeah, outside of like the Trump Michigan, uh, Yeah, Michigan has been corrupted. But before the two thousands, I mean before the two thousands you could argue that Michigan was a better program than Ohio State. And I think that's started to flip, especially as the records have started to become even and, and, and things like that. And I can't remember who of the two has more national championships. I think it's us, but I don't know. Like, I don't know if Notre Dame really counts in that King of the North thing. I, I just think that they're uh, a cool, like, they're a cool program. Yeah, I, 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 I kind of understand it. I mean, the last 30 years have not been good for them. Even I honestly argue their last 30 years have been worse than even Michigan's last 30 years. But it, it's one of those things where I, I think when you talk about alumni base, when you talk about, like, who – it's been at Notre Dame. They've got some people like Joe Montana, uh, Jerome Bettis. There's like a long list of very exciting football Hall of Famers that went there, similar to Ohio State. Like, I'd say similar to Michigan, the last 30 years have just not been kind to them. So 
that expectation yeah. for them is a little bit lower than what it is for Ohio State right now. And that's what Marcus Freeman's trying to change. Will he be able to do it? Uh, we'll see how he starts on uh, on Saturday. Yeah, for sure. I, I, I just kind of, you know, king of the north or just king in college football or anything. That's not even like an Ohio State thing. Like, Because you could really argue that it's Michigan over Ohio State. I just don't think Notre Dame fits in that conversation. Yeah, but, it's, you know, it's different. That doesn't matter. That's the rabbit hole we don't have to get into. Uh, but uh, Notre, Dame is a, Notre Dame is a program that you know, obviously, like you said, has some really good history, has some really good players, and they are the most mm, substantial is not the right word, but they're the biggest, most well-known, whatever, of the Catholic schools in general. And so people love to hate them. And they have this noted, you know, this Notre Dame private school everyone kind of thing. And so it it makes, you know, it makes, um, it brings something, you know, it brings something to their school that I think, you know, if Notre Dame wasn't a Catholic school, I don't know if that, if they would be held in the, in the same esteem, but, um, it's fun, man. And like Notre Dame and Ohio state should be, I don't I'm not going to go as far to say annual, but, but it needs the, to happen often, which is why I, I want every, them in the Big Ten. Home and home every two years or every 10 years. Like, you know, I think that's fair. But, yeah, I think the Big Ten Conference should welcome Notre Dame with open arms. I know a lot of people will roll their eyes at that, but they already play the Big Ten mostly. Uh, so I think the term used in a land grant Holy Land's feed, feed this week was why let them have their cake and eat it too, you know, without – you know, forcing them into the conference or not. And I, I mean, I know like Kevin Warren's never going to be like, you can't schedule Notre Dame. It's big money. Um, Gene Smith was, he, I can't remember if he went to Notre Dame. This is bad research here, but he had, he had a, I'm, Notre Dame. If he did. I'm pretty sure he went to Notre Dame. That's what it was. So yeah, he did. Always yep. going to be willing to work with Notre Dame. So yeah, I mean, the connections are crazy. Uh, talking about atmosphere, this is, Ohio State doesn't have many games on ESPN left. Uh, This is going to be one of those final games on ESPN. College game day is getting set up, like I said, in the early parts of the show. And then on top of that, looking into this a little bit more, uh, all the recruits are going to be here. Like, there's three uncommitted 2023 recruits coming, and they're the ones you want to know about. Damon Wilson, Keon Keeley, Matayo Uangalele. And then the they're going to have almost the entire 2023 class there with them. So it's going to be uh, quite a special environment. And I, I think one of the things I want to talk about is Ohio State fans known for kind of not getting started right from the jump. I want Ohio State fans there early. I want Ohio State fans loud from like 7.30 until the start of the game. I want 8 p.m. or 8 p.m. until the game's over. I don't want to hear. I want to hear it from my apartment, the stadium. Yeah, I mean, if you can't do it for this game, what game are you going to do it for? Yeah, I mean, I guess Michigan, but like – you're going to wait until November? Yeah, that's just not what that's not what it's about. Like this is the biggest game at night in the horseshoe in quite some time. It's time to get up. And 
that's just where I'm at. The atmosphere should be crazy, though. Like, fans always complain about noon games. We talked about this a lot last year. Um, it's time to show out. You've got the kickoff time you want. Like, it's time. Let's show them what Again, you got the kickoff time, you got a big game. You know what I'm saying? Like, for all of the the crap that I'm going to talk in a later segment, this is still a big game, right? Uh, It is still, at minimum, a helmet game. It is still two historic programs. It is still two top five AP-ranked programs. Whether one of them deserves to be ranked or not, they still are. It is two, if you ask the talking heads, playoff contenders this is last year's clemson versus georgia yeah absolutely. like this is a game that you don't get often like you don't get two teams vying for the playoffs playing and unless it's two teams in a conference like when you get georgia and alabama and you don't get that game every year you don't get two teams vying for the playoff playing in general and you definitely don't get it week one when anything is bound to happen because it's week one anything's possible kevin garnett um, it, it's it's I, I, I keep kind of stumbling over my words here, but I'm just it, it's the excitement. It's the antsiness. It's what we're here for. And, you know, college football week one's here. It's a crazy slate. We've got huge games on right now. Uh, the backyard brawls on uh, Penn State Purdue. The backyard brawl, that's criminal that it's been 11 years since they played each other. Yeah. Yeah. First and uh, I'm glad you mentioned. Yeah. And it, I, I, so. I'm gonna I'm gonna just take a step there. That's not because of realignment. That's because people are lazy. Because like the ACC and the SEC teams, the ACC and SEC teams, they keep their run. Georgia plays Georgia Tech. Clemson plays South Carolina. Like there are teams that do it. They just didn't try. Like like Notre Dame and all of their crap that they're doing. They have teams that they play every year. It's very possible to keep it. These administrators just don't care. And, you know, this is not to get on a rant because we have better things to talk about. But I partially think that's kind of what happens sometimes when you get admitted. Like, we're moving towards professionalizing sports, as in, like, ADs now have business degrees instead of sports degrees. Like, ADs are not former players and coaches like Barry Alvarez and and Jim Delaney and stuff like that. And so they don't care about, like, those sort of things. This could have been a yearly game. I'm pretty sure the ACC only plays eight conference games, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, and I don't know what the Big 12 does. The Big 12 does a round table, right? But, like, whatever it is, however however it works, there's a game in there that they could have made this a thing, especially, again, because two teams in the ACC do it. So, like, I'm not going to blame realignment. I'm going to blame, like, for lack of a better word, these shitty administrators because they could have made it happen. Yeah, no, I mean, that's fair. I think that's fair. Um, But as a proud West Virginia alum, and I don't talk about it often because I'm a Buckeye through and through, and it was grad school, so, like, I'm more tied to Kent State. Anyone who's been in grad school would understand. Your undergraduate experience is much better than your grad school experience. I am a big West Virginia fan. I've been to more West Virginia games in person than I have any other team um, in general. Um, their their stadium is great. Their crowd is great. Uh, you will see some things you don't expect to see question if you go to one of their games the, and sit anywhere near the students. Have you set a couch but, uh, on fire? Or have you seen no. a couch on fire? No, because they didn't have any big upsets. 
but I heard all the stories. Like that, like every so, every, like years later, it, it brings up all the time, especially any of the seniors and people who were there. You just hear at stories all the time about when they went down and upset Baylor and how couches were set on fire and trash and and so. West Virginia is like literally in the mountains. Like the school itself is in the mountains. So driving anywhere is huge mountains, like not even hills. Like there are certain places where you drive where your car is literally almost like straight up and down. Where like if you don't have good brakes, you're just going to roll down. And like Fraternity Row is one of the hardest walks Ever. You literally get to a certain point where you get up top where it's like one of those cartoons where they're walking up the wall. It literally feels like that. Like you literally almost have to get into a football stance to finish the walk up the hill and they would light dumpsters on fire and roll it down the mountain. That sounds incredibly so, safe. Yeah, it's <laughs> incredibly. So so I, I didn't see any of that because West Virginia wasn't winning those type of games. Although we were very close because I think my first year there was the year where they were very close to winning the Big Ten, the Big Twelve championship, but then they finished the year with Oklahoma and another two, another good team, and they lost two back to back, and they ended up not. But they were like first or second in the conference, going into like the last two weeks, and then the the, the year after that they weren't good, and then Dana Holgerson left for Houston, and they've been, you know, up and down. But yeah, yeah, yeah. we've got we've got a lot of good games this weekend. Um, Oregon, Georgia. We've got Notre Dame, Ohio State, obviously. Uh, Does Oregon have a chance? I think they do. I mean, I I would not. I'd rather if Oregon hired the offensive coordinator from Georgia, I'd say no chance, but they hired the defensive coordinator from Georgia. So, you know, I I don't know how much that translates. I don't know how much that, like, works. But I, I feel like Dan Lanning might have a little bit of a scheme up his sleeve to slow down that Georgia offense. And I, I think yeah, Oregon and, does have the players to do it. Yeah. And I mean, whatever you want to say about, you know, Mario Cristobal, because it's proven he was not the greatest in-game coach, although obviously good enough to beat Ohio state last year, but then lose multiple games somehow. Uh, he was an amazing recruiter. So for the next two years, yeah, set up a little bit. Because who knows what Dick Lanning is going to do when it's his guys. For the next two years, they have players. Like, I, I have a lot of faith in Utah because they also have players, and I think they have the proven coach and they have a good quarterback and some other, like, infrastructure things. But Oregon could easily win the Big 12. Oh, my gosh. The Pac-12 for the next two years before Lanning has any sort of challenge because – all of those NFL players and talent is going to be there. The biggest thing is the quarterback because supposedly the freshman who was supposed to be good isn't good because he couldn't win the job last year. And then they brought in Bo, Bo Nix and he yeah, won the job Bo this Nix year. Is. Yeah. So, but I mean, Bo Nix has been good for one upset of an SEC team this year, and he's got one on the schedule. So, uh, you know, will we get there the Bo Magic? Chance. Possibly. There was a chance. Hey, 0-0, zero, zero, ball snap, 15 minutes on that first quarter clock, or ball's kicked. It's anyone's game until, you know, something happens. Until it's not. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, let's get into the presser. Let's get into it. There wasn't, like like I said, it's week one. Um, we've heard everything this entire offseason. I don't think there's really anything – 
too wild here. We'll get started with Ryan Day. Uh, I think it's interesting that both Marcus Freeman and Ryan Day put so much emphasis on establishing the run and stopping the run. And it's for the same reason, and it's the same reason any coach will have. If you stop the run, you force them into being one-dimensional, and you could, you know, sit on the sticks, feel confident in what your pass defense can do. You could get a little more flexible with your blitz packages and all that stuff. Establishing the run opens up your offense. We know why you want to do that. If you can run on second and 10 and you could run on third and 10 and feel confident that you can get the first down, you're a very dangerous football team. Uh, but the play action pass is always a weapon when you have the run established. Uh, and that's, that's definitely an initial point of emphasis I think we need to get into because I think both defenses – will pride themselves in that. And I think Ohio State has a lot to prove running the football to get that established. Uh, so, yeah, I was just wondering, what what are you feeling about Ryan Day emphasizing the need for stopping and establishing the run in his presser and his radio show today? Personally, <clears throat> excuse me, I don't care until he shows it. Like, stopping the run, whatever. We get that. Jim Knowles is going to stop the run. It's the Big Ten. Like, that's important. I'm not minimizing that. I don't care about anything Ryan Day has to say about the run game at all until he shows that he's self-scouted. Because if you listen to the things that he said, and it could be, you know – a coy little coach speak. I'm not going to admit anything, but it comes across as very arrogant. And this is one of the only bad things that I could ever say. Side note, Nick Singleton won the Penn State job. Yeah, he's I did. I'm not surprised that he won it. I just didn't hear anything about it. And he's getting carries in the first quarter of this game. And he's looking pretty decent. So uh, I don't want to hear anything about it, though, because. You can say it, but at the point that I was getting at is like, this is maybe the only really negative thing I have to say about Ryan Day. He spent all offseason just sounding arrogant. Like, our running game is fine. We don't need to self-scout. We're good. Like, when people would ask him direct questions about the pistol formation, he would say, oh, I think we were very balanced. And I'm really hoping that was coach speak and not how it was handled yeah. in the locker room because the run game – was uncreative and it was ineffective in short yardage and it was ineffective in the running in the red zone and it's it felt like if uh trey didn't get a 50 yard touchdown there wasn't going to be a running touchdown and so you can say you want to establish the run but unless he's willing to run in big moments and unless he's willing to and i'm a proponent of gap scheme that's not the only way to be a successful running team. He doesn't have to come out and run power as much as I'm going to tell him to run power. But you need more creativity to open things up on top of hopefully a better line with Justin Fry. So I don't want to hear it. I want to see it. I want him to come out and I want him to have a more creative run game. And I want to be I want to see a third and one, a fourth and one, a third and three where we can run the ball and we're not getting stuffed. I want to see him call actual running plays in the red zone with, again, some creativity that's going to lead to a score instead of passing four times on whatever where sometimes yeah, it doesn't absolutely. work because it's hard to pass in the red zone no matter how good your quarterback is i just want to see it i don't want to talk about it yeah two things there the first one is the worst thing last year was when ohio state would waste first and second down trying to throw the ball from like the five yard line and then they'd run it on third down and you'd be like 
Why didn't you do that on first down? Now we're at the two-yard line. You needed one more run. The second thing is, I think the self-scouting definitely took place with bringing Justin Fry in, getting a fresh face in there on the offensive line. I, I think the he who must not be named thing can continue through this season as we see how Justin Fry does. And then once Justin Fry proves himself, we could let bygones be bygones. Uh, but I do think the one thing when J.K. Dobbins was there, it was a heavy zone scheme. I, I think the real aspect Ryan Day wants to improve is he doesn't care if it's predictable. He wants him to be tougher. He wants him to be more physical. And and I think there is warrant to that. I, I'm with you. I would like a little bit more creativity. I'd like a little bit more mixed gap scheme. One of the run schemes that I love that Notre Dame runs is pin and pull. And it's basically a counter from the shotgun. And it's really great. You get two athletic linemen moving. And when you're doing the all tackle line, I think a pin and pull would have been really nice. But Yeah, we, I think we talked about that week one. Yeah, I think we talked not not the pen and pull, uh, not pen and pull exactly, but how like uh, uh, pulling and things like that may work because yeah. of and you know athleticism and stuff. Now you have you're going to run your split zones with the tight end running across. You're going to run your straight up inside zones. You're going to run your outside zone stretch type plays. It's really honestly just about that offensive line knowing their steps, knowing their assignments, knowing their double teams getting up to the second level and winning that initial push. Like that's what we didn't see enough last year. The amount of times the defensive tackles got interior penetration. That's why I'm excited to see Matt Jones. That's why I'm excited to see Donovan Jackson at guard, because I really do wholeheartedly believe that they are going to match up better. And we're going to see it straight away. Cause Notre Dame's got a 325 pound deep nose tackle, uh, or at least they used to. Um, and they play big guys on the interior. Like, that's real. Um, they have their smallest interior defensive lineman's 276 pounds. And they have a big defensive end in Riley Mills, who's 292 pounds. And that's their strong side end that plays opposite of their Viper. Like, that is going to be a challenge for this offensive line. And that's why I was interested in this. He emphasized establishing the run. I don't care how he does it. I don't care if i just want to see physicality i want to see an established running game from ohio state and i want to see a dedication to it i felt like ryan day would give up on the run game a lot last year and he'd just say hey cj hey chris hey garrett hey jackson go out get 500 yards we're gonna need you guys to win this game for us and i felt like that would happen after the second series yeah, I agree with everything you said, but I'm glad that you wrapped it around to the real problem because obviously the offensive line was an issue, but also a better, and I'm not going to keep using the word creative, but a better schemed running game would have been more efficient. Like if teams didn't know what you were running every single time and and, and then like we would get in short yardage and run out of pistol. Yeah, you need you know, if anyone like obviously you can see it right, but like for people who don't actually know, the pistol lineup is between seven and nine yards depending on the running back. The quarterback is typically at five, and pistols depending on the team, the quarterback will line up at four, four and a half, and then the running back is two or three yards behind that. Some running backs take an extra step because they need extra momentum, and I think just by looking at it, I think that um um. Master Teague was one that took a, a, a extra step back. 
But the point is you need seven or eight yards just to get to the line of scrimmage, and then you have to pick up the one or two yards. Why are you trying to pick up short yardage on a pistol? Yeah, it's not. It doesn't make sense. I like the pistol when you're on, like, first and ten, second and ten. I think you could get a lot of great, like, stretch type of plays out of that. But Yeah, I, pistol has its benefits. But I think I, in short I yardage – like I, I'm like very pro get the fullback in there. I know Ohio State has Mitch Rossi, and he might not necessarily be considered a fullback, but I'm very pro get a bigger body in there. Uh, and at least like, I mean, if you like, okay, if you can't do anything else, then run some jet sweeps. But like this, this little dive and inside zone from the pistol was not working. No. So I 100% am not taking anything off the offensive line. I'm literally one of part of the reason, a major part of the reason we don't say somebody's name on this podcast. The offensive line has to be better, but also the running design has to be better. Yeah. And if you can design all of these amazing passing plays, you can take time if you put half of that effort into designing a running game, it would be unstoppable. 100%. And I think we're going to find out a lot about what changes were made and we're going to learn immediately. And that's just what it is. Uh, moving forward, uh, Ryan Day says Notre Dame pass rush will be a huge challenge for Dewan Jones and Paris Johnson Jr. Uh, I, I know Isaiah Foskey's a good player. Uh, I, I like him actually quite a bit. He does remind me quite a bit of David Ajabo. And we know David Ajabo is a pretty talented guy. Uh, but and I'm not just saying that because they both kind of played like a relatively hybrid defensive end type of outside linebacker. I'm just saying that he's a good player and he's a reason he's a big reason Notre Dame's defense gets the respect it does. Um, I, I, I don't think their pass rush is necessarily a dominant one, but they do a great job with their size of collapsing pockets, making quarterbacks feel pressure, making quarterbacks feel a little bit uncomfortable and i think that's where their strength is especially with their cover four and their cover four match behind them so i do think it's going to present quite a few challenges that maybe aren't directly sacks but will definitely challenge the integrity of the offensive line a little bit yeah, yeah, it'll be good. That's that is the one thing me and you have disagreed on multiple occasions about Notre Dame, and the one thing that I'll give them is their uh, their defensive line, relatively, right? Like yeah, I don't I, think it's as a unit is going in um, as the best defensive line in the country and that kind of stuff. And I think that we've seen the, uh, uh, Ohio State and Ryan Day out scheme teams with one good defensive yeah, end. It's honestly I mean, George Karloftis had zero effect, but you, the point of having a good player is they take you out of what you want to do. Ohio State had to scheme around George Karloftis and they're going to have to do the same thing. Now, I don't know who's better between the two. I, I, I think I would maybe lean towards George maybe. I don't know. They're both really good. But the fact that you have to, yeah, the fact that you have to scheme around them says enough. So, he um it's definitely going to be someone uh, to watch out for. And I'm very, very excited to see his snaps against Paris Johnson Jr. Absolutely. Because we need, like, we need to know. We need, and we need to know early. Yeah, like Foskey, he, So the way they line up the Viper, he's always going to be on the weak side. And depending on the hash, he's going to have a lot of matchups against DeWan Jones. So that's really going to 
Like, I know Dewan Jones wants to raise his draft stock. This is the game for him to do it. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. So Absolutely. I, I think this defensive line, and I know you said, like, doesn't have, like, an Aiden Hutchinson. It doesn't have maybe a George Karloftis. But it reminds me a lot of Penn State's defensive line, where it's just six solid dudes who are going to rotate in. They're going to do their job, and they're going to give you fits because they're going to be disciplined. They're going to play foundational football. Yeah, so uh, absolutely. To, they just have to play foundational football back. Don't let them doing their job affect you doing yours. Yep, and I mean, this is the the line plays where the game is. I'm not going to say won or lost because I think Ohio State can win this game regardless. The, the, so in this play, the line game is where this this game is. Oh, oh what's the best way to put it? Um, what's like. Okay, so let's just talk about last year because I can't figure out the word I want to use. Last year, we won games where we didn't leave happy. Yeah, absolutely. So essentially what I'm trying to say is the win or lose, most likely win, the line play is where we leave this game feeling good or bad about ourselves, despite if we win. Yeah. Because you could win this game and get bullied on the line and say, oh, God, Penn State probably wasn't that good. This is not a good sign or you can bully them and leave saying all right national championship so so the line play is going to be very important for not just for this game but for the entire season yeah for sure i i think that's the one place where i know the team is going to get definitively tested is the line online play both sides of the football we'll be able to see like hey this defense aligned did really well against a harry high stand offensive line with a bunch of potential nfl players like Notre Dame puts out NFL offensive linemen every year, not always first rounders, but always fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh rounders. There's always guys going to the league. Yeah, and that, that's yeah. It's it's really it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting. We talk a lot about what Notre Dame needs to bring back and what Marcus Freeman needs to do. The thing that he that I if I were a Notre Dame fan that I would expect him to bring back is the fact that for a long stretch of time. Every starter at left tackle for Notre Dame was a first round pick. Yeah. And was good in the league. And then the year that they didn't have a starter that was a first round pick, I can't think of his name. He went second or third round. They had Quentin Nelson. Yep. And now they don't have any, not that they're bad, right? But they're, yeah, like, like their entire line's going to get drafted, is in a but they're not that, first round picks. Yeah. So that, if I was a Notre Dame fan, that's what I would want to bring back. I mean, you could literally just book it. Like, okay, Notre Dame left tackle, two year starter, first round. Didn't matter the year. Up until 2019-ish, something like that, 2020. Um, one of those years, because I wanted the coaches to draft them in the second round, and they didn't. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, next thing on the list, we've got uh, Ryan Day's excitement for the defense. He said it's going to be great to see a bunch of guys running around with a lot of energy and a lot of confidence. Uh, I think the message we've gotten throughout the offseason is the defense has improved every week. They've gotten better. They've learned more of the scheme. They've gotten more comfortable, and they've been competitive against the offense. So, if it holds true and the offense is the best offense in the country, like many are predicting, self-included, that's a good sign. I think – I think – so I did a deep dive into Tyler Buckner. Uh, I, that's kind of – it was a little hard of me, but 
I wanted to really get a look at this guy, and he had a much better arm than I thought. Still a little scattershot with his accuracy. But he is he's a good runner. He's a physical runner. He's got a nice stiff arm, and he's got a little bit more juice than I thought he had with his legs. Um, and I think that with the combination of Michael Mayer bring two things you really don't like to play against, and that's running quarterbacks and tight ends who can attack you vertically. And they've got both of them. Now, they don't have very many explosive receivers. Uh, they've got a lot of injuries in the receiver room. Uh, but I do think this is going to be an opportunity for Ohio State to, number one, show a more, much more disciplined sense with their defense. Uh, and number two, we're going to learn a lot about what changes Jim Knowles will make personnel-wise. Because at Oklahoma State, he kind of had to lock in his personnel. Like, this is our four-two-five. This is our Leo. This is our two linebackers. We're going to have a nickel on the field at all times. This is the best thing we could put on the field to match up against this. Um, I don't think he has to do that anymore. I think he's got three or four players that I'd feel comfortable sticking on Michael Mayer and just saying, hey, it's your job to erase him. I don't think that's exactly what he's going to do, but I understand why Ryan Day is feeling better. I think that's something a coach can sense. I think you get sense when you're seeing the same issues in practice over and over again, which is probably something they saw last year. And a big reason Ryan Day was so willing to make the change early, as early as he did. Uh, and I'm just I'm just curious to see if his excitement translates to the field for the defense. Yeah, um, as I've said before, I'm ready to be heard again. Uh, it's so hard during talking season to really, you know, understand what's going on. But I think the players say the truth probably more than what the coaches want them to say. Yeah. Um, and if you don't believe me, just think back to when Travion Henderson said he played through a concussion or something of the sort. Um, Got banged up. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. So uh, the point that I'm getting at is the players have talked about the defense. Multiple interviews, offensive players have brought up the defense unprovoked. Um, and that is what's exciting. You know, I listen to the coaches. I watch the press conferences when I have time, especially sometimes at work if I'm not in a bunch of meetings or something like Good time. You do learn some things sometimes, especially if you know how to get through the, the coach speak. But the players really tell you a lot. And the fact that, I mean, the tight ends, the offensive line, like the quarterbacks, every group you were talking about was talking about the defense. I think that is a positive sign. Uh, and it really made me feel like the offense was literally just whooping the defense's ass the last couple of years. It, it feels like they're talking about it because they're surprised, like a little bit out of respect. But they're also like, so this is what a good defense looks yeah, like? Yeah, absolutely. Like, this is what it looks like, like to not, like, dominate talking. CJ Stroud talking about how he hasn't, like, just about – just the way he talked about him, you know, like, just the different looks, the different coverages he was seeing, the disguising. He's like, yeah, this defense has been challenging for me at times just with, like, the looks they're giving, the looks they change up, the ways they're bringing pressure. Like, and that's not stuff we – like, he was saying last year. Like, the defense last year in practice was a disservice to C.J. Stroud. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And now he's got Jim Knowles on his way, which I think we can get into Jim Knowles – Right now, we'll finish up Jim Knowles, and then we'll hit our 
commercial break. Um, I love how Jim Knowles just uh, Jim Knowles is one of the guys. Like I like Jim Knowles says a lot without with like remember Kevin from the Office. Why use many words when few words do tricks or whatever he says? <laughs> Jim Knowles gets straight yeah. to the point every question. I don't think he goes really long into answers ever but he was asked about the tight ends these guys have a great tight end so we need to make sure we have a game plan for it just him recognizing that they have Michael Mayer and saying we have to game plan for that specifically that's turning over a new leaf for this defense you know what Gary Jones would have done he would have came out ran cover three and cover one and they would not have adjusted Uh, 10, 10 catches, 175 yards, three touchdowns. Yeah, and then like Very the rest defense. of the defense would have like done, wouldn't have done anything because it's the LeBron James effect. Like, hey, let him have 220 yards as long as we stop everybody else. Like, we did good, but that's not the Jim Knowles approach. Is what I'm feeling like. It's like, no. hey, we're gonna stop this guy and we're gonna stop everything else. Well, the one thing that you hear about Jim Knowles that kind of excites me the most is that Jim Knowles has – he game plans for every team. Yeah. Not everyone does that. Not, a lot of people run their offense. They run their defense. And and when I say game plan, obviously you watch film and things like that. But, like, his defense may be entirely different against Notre Dame than it is against Maryland because they do two totally different things. Yeah, that's Cam Martinez, because I think maybe by the Maryland game, he has that starting spot over Tanner McAllister. Cam Martinez may play 90 snaps against Maryland where he plays 10 snaps against Notre Dame. Like he's actually going to game plan. And you see that in that word, him saying that is not using that word lightly. This defense is going to have its, its, its uh, structure, right? It's going to have its thing. Everyone has their go-to plays. Everyone has a home base. But it's going to be different each week, especially against the better teams that do different things. And so when he says he's going to game plan against a tight end, I believe him. And I believe his plan is actually going to be about the tight end, and it's actually going to be about what the offense is doing and not so much just like – run ball, get ball. Yeah. We play defense. Without we have four and five stars. We should be better. Without a doubt. And that's that's the, that's the most exciting thing about him. He is a defensive coordinator. He doesn't have – he has his philosophies. He is very uh, strict about, like, what he does, but he's also very flexible in how he does it. And that's kind of the difference. Like, he has his base defense. He has – his personnel packages. He has how he likes to do things on third down, first down, second down. But he's very flexible in the way he gets to that point of, if you understand what I'm saying, like they might run cover three, but there's 15 different ways they'll run cover three. Yeah. Disguise is huge. Uh, this one, I, I pulled out. This one was a good one to me. Uh, they, he was asked about like – how much the difference is in Ohio State, what's it like kind of being in this atmosphere, this bigger stage. And, you know, when you're as well-traveled as Jim Knowles, you know, he's been a head coach. He's been a defensive coordinator at pretty much every level of football. It's the same process. The expectations are different. That hasn't changed what I do or how I do it. You just know it's there. Uh, and then after that, a little bit later, he said he'll think about the nice parts when he's old about coaching at Ohio State. Uh, the laser focus. He he's just one of those guys, man. And I, there, there's a few people 
there's only there's very few people cut from his cloth you know like where there's a sense of confidence it's not loud it's not boisterous it's quiet and it kind of scares you a little bit but then you're like man i believe in this guy i believe everything he says yeah it's, it's literally one of those things where it's like you know uh i'm of course because you all know how i get when i want to say things i can never remember it exactly but it's just like you know what's understood doesn't have to be explained right it's a quiet confidence it's uh you know the person that walks into the party talking the loudest right we always say people who would you know X jewelry and trucks and this that they're 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 trying to uh, you know accommodate something and things like that. Like, he doesn't have to do that. Like when he walks into the room, his his presence, his game, his intelligence speaks for itself, and so he doesn't have to do all of the the bragging and boasting and talking. And I think that's a that's a positive, and I think that's how it should be, right? Like. To give some credit to Ryan Day, because, you know, I, I talked a little negatively about him. Ryan Day doesn't go out saying I'm the best offensive coach in the world. Yeah. He just, but he's up there. Right. And and that's what you want from the defense. You want your coaches to walk in and say, like, I'm that guy. I'm, my team is that team. We have the players. We have the scheme. We have everything. And I don't need to talk about it. You're going to feel it. I'm focused. I'm going to do what's right, and we're going to get it done. Yep. Man, that's what you. That's really what you want from a defense coordinator. You know, I don't mind when head coaches, I kind of take on that role. Like Steve Spurrier was very known for it, where he was like a loud, boisterous coach, and then his coordinators would – it would allow his coordinators to work in silence, you know, just do their jobs. Uh, I'm not against that. Like – I feel like Nick Saban's very good about that too, where he takes everything face forward, everything on. But like honestly, he kind of talks like Jim Knowles kind of talks like Nick Saban a little bit, you know. And that I know who I am. I this is exactly how we do things. This is the process. You're gonna believe in it because once I explain it to you, you know it's gonna make you successful. Not because I'm selling you snake oil, because it's proven. And I understand the game of football and. Once you do this, you're going to be better off for it. And once you can make a player, and I I think you brought this up, these players need to know the why. This generation of people need to know the why am I doing this. And Jim Knowles said that's very simple. I love to explain the why. And that's going to be a significant difference. It's not, hey, you do this because this is what you need to do. It's, hey, you do this because if you do this, it opens up this, and that opens up that, and that allows three possibilities to make this play. Instead of just, yeah. And that's a huge difference. Yeah. And the thing about college, right. And this doesn't always happen, but the ideal of college is that you start at football 201 and not 101. And I think because we had really bad coaches, there was, you know, at least some point in time in the spring at minimum where he was teaching 101. But, you know, Jim Knowles is a, he's a, He's a grad school professor, right? He's like he's not an undergrad too. professor. He's not teaching intro to sociology, right? He's not teaching intro to philosophy with the drunk freshman, right? He's teaching senior level and master's level classes. And now that he's got the players who are interested in that, right? Um, and, and now that he's gotten the intro to football out the way, right? Intro to Jim Knows out the way. Now it's now it's those level four classes. It's those level five classes. Um, and 
he's perfectly suited for that. And you can tell, like, he's a teacher. That's the thing. I think I mentioned it before. The coaches themselves have actually mentioned it. These coaches are teachers. And that is important. And somehow, somehow, don't ask me, but somehow you can coach football without being a good teacher. And coaching is all, it's teaching in relationships, but somehow you can get a job without being a good teacher. But all four defensive coaches now are good teachers. And last year and the years before, we only had one. And that was, you know, Larry Johnson. Yeah, and we saw how that went. Uh, Last thing on the Larry Johnson note, uh, he was asked about the defensive line rotations because we heard him say, like, he's not about it with the back end. Last week he said it's still up for discussion, and now he's behind playing as many of them as possible on the defensive line. That should have you feeling confident. If Jim Knowles is confident in something, I'm confident in it. That's all I got to say there. I still want to see more TC and Jack, but. uh, I'm just. uh, Do we have, have, like, what we're excited for? Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't do that. I don't know, honestly. Alright, that's fine. That's fine. I think we're most excited, but that's how we'll close it out. Start with the excitement, end with the excitement. I think that's the perfect way to do the first show. Uh, but yeah, let's get to commercial break here. Let's check our ads from our sponsors, and we'll be back here in a minute for you guys to finish up this preview of Notre Dame. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome back in, everybody. This is Christopher Rennie bringing another episode of the Book Off Podcast with Land Grant Holy Land. We're talking football. We're talking pressers. It's game week, everybody. Ohio State is playing Notre Dame this weekend, and it's top five matchup. You don't get anything better than this. Uh, I, I tried finding the stat, and I, I didn't get the exact number, but I don't think Notre Dame's won a BCS poll since, like, 1998, and I don't remember the last time they won a top five matchup. It's been a long time. This is this is why I've been making the points that I've been making, and you've been trying to push back, but this this is why. You know? I got to bring some sense of a, like a 60-40 impartial view uh, to this, but at the end of the day, we know where my loyalties lie. But that's the thing for me. My opinion has nothing to do about Ohio State, and it has, Notre Dame has everything to do about Notre Dame. Has shown historically who they are, and it doesn't matter who's coaching them. It doesn't. It hasn't mattered since 1991. Uh, they don't win the big game, plain and simple. Eh. Uh, it I, don't even know what it, I don't even know what it is about them. Like, like it, it's kind of crazy, honestly how like bad they have been. And I don't want to like keep putting any emphasis on this because I don't want them to be like, oh, they're due. No, they're not due. They need to keep losing. But it's it's in, it's incredibly crazy. Uh, the last thing I wanted to mention with the press conferences was just the general conversations around toughness. Like the first thing Kate Stover was asked about was the team's toughness. Ronnie Hickman talked about toughness. Uh, Paris Johnson Jr. talked about toughness. Everyone was talking about toughness and 
Cade Silver brought up an interesting point. He said it was a camp where they had pads on from the start and they didn't really take them off much. Uh, so Ooh, I like to hear that. They maybe. I like to hear it because no one got injured. I'll just say that. Yeah, no one got seriously injured. Oh, yeah, no, Mitchell Belton got hurt in the spring game. Um, no one got seriously – oh, Evan Pryor. Uh, we had one serious injury um, that is on record. Um, I, I thought the other thing Ronnie said about – he was asked about Lathan Ransom and how he's been practicing and stuff, and he's like, I don't even think he was supposed to be healthy by now. And I'm just like, he's not. That's a dude. That's a dude. Straight up. I, I I think, you know, the transformation we had with Tommy, I'm ready to have that with Lathan Ransom. I, I'm ready to be on the Lathan Ransom train to the NFL. I, I think he's a fun guy. I do think he was misused last year quite a bit. And I don't think he's going to be put in positions where he will fail as much as he was with Kerry Combs. Uh, I, I do think he'll be – him and Court Williams, I think, are going to draw the the task of covering Michael Mayer, and I think they're both up for it. Different ways. Just, it's like throwing different punches at someone. You're going to get, like, a big stiff punch from a, from a Court Williams on him, and then you're going to take in length and ransom, and he's just not going to be able to, like, make him disappear. Yeah. Um, my overall thing is this, and I've said it before. Lathan Ransom, Court Williams, Craig Young, all played out of position. I've never been against, and did I say Cam Martinez? Uh, and Cam yeah, Martinez. Martinez, yeah. Because I only mentioned three players, and Cam Martinez, all played out of position. I've never been against any of them individually as players. I have always been against the coaching staff and where they put them. They were all in the wrong position. Lathan Ransom is a talent. And I think now that he's finally playing the right position where he's not playing one-on-one versus five-foot-seven speedy wide receivers, I think he's going to ball. Respectfully, because I don't think this is his year to start, right? There are still some better players in front of him, and that's fine. But I think you leave this season, like you're saying, with potentially that timey e revitalization or whatever, yeah. where at the, by the end of the season, you're like, okay, all right, I feel good about him. Next season, as people leave, he's going to have a bigger role, you know, that kind of stuff. But it's 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 never been about him as a player, at least for me. He's been in the wrong position. He's not a one-on-one man coverage guy. He's not supposed to be guarding Jordan Alice Addison and, and Jackson Smith and Jigba and David Bell and all of these, you know, shifty, you know, slot receivers. He's not supposed to be on Rakeem Jarrett. Like that is not his job. But that's what they were having him do. So I think he's better, again, kind of like you said, just by virtue of being in the right position like, and doing what he's supposed to be doing, what he's actually good at. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that's going to be a big transition because uh, I think it was an interesting point a lot of people were making. It's like Jim Knowles doesn't really talk about someone until he has the full – like he feels comfortable knowing their ability. And he's been talking about Lathan Ransom a lot lately. Like in the spring, he talked a lot about Court Williams. In the spring – Oh, in the fall camp early, he talked a lot about Josh Proctor, saying he could be one of the best in the country. He hasn't talked about Ronnie Hickman since, like, the first week of spring. That's because he already said everything he had to about Ronnie Hickman. We all know who Ronnie Hickman is. It's fine. Plus, he probably wasn't asked about Ronnie Hickman that much because we all know who Ronnie Hickman is. Yep. So, it it really – 
shows and he's talking about Tommy Eichenberg all the time. He Sonny Styles is a 17 year old. He's got his black stripe removed. I don't know how much, I don't think people understand how absurd that is, but it's something to be like, we might see Sonny Styles tomorrow. And I'm not even saying like that in, in just like, just like, I, I don't even know what to expect, but I just know Jim Knowles has a plan and that's what I'm excited for. Um, I don't remember CJ Hicks, his black stripes removed, right? Yeah. Yeah. Was it in the spring or early in the I camp? I think he was one of the first in fall. That's what I thought. He did because I, yeah, 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 yeah. But Caden Curry, you know. Spring? Don't forget that. I still expect the guy to get his black stripe removed. He was spring, so. Yeah. I'm just saying. We got some young dudes. Could be crazy. Uh, corner health, still a question. Not because of that, just six players. That scares oh. me, but Jim Knowles has a plan. That's what I'm going to say. That's I'm going to make a shirt. Jim Knowles has a plan. We're going to sell him. Uh, but yeah, let's get to the Notre Dame report. It's tough. So these are going to be a little bit more in depth as the season goes. Uh, but we haven't seen anything of the 2022 Notre Dame team. Like that's just the truth. Like we've seen glimpses. Uh, we've seen Michael Mayer. The offensive line's going to be okay. Tyler Buckner's a first year starter. I think that's an interesting place to start. He was a change of pace yeah. guy. I really do think the coaching staff gave Tyler Buckner and Drew Pine the every opportunity to take that job away from Jack Cohn. And if you can't beat out Jack Cohn, that raises some red flags for me. Uh, I, I, I know that's, that might be, I, I don't think Jack Cohn's like a terrible quarterback, but I don't think he's, he's not a good quarterback. He's not good. He's just, he's your stereotypical yeah. big 10 starter, like on a seventh or eighth best team. Uh, but yeah. Tyler Buckner, Day uh, said he was a very talented quarterback that was recruited by a lot of people. I looked; Ohio State offered Tyler Buckner. Uh, I know we know offers are kind of interesting. Same class as C.J. Stroud, so we know how that class ended up. But he's an elite eleven guy. I, I think he's a little bit, like I said earlier, scatter shot. But his running ability does bring an interesting dynamic to the table for a week one matchup. We saw Cam Rising's not as good as an athlete as Tyler Buckner, and he had his way a little bit as a running threat against Ohio State last year. So immediate test, and that's really what I think Tyler Buckner brings. I don't think he's going to test Ohio State as a thrower necessarily because I don't think they have the receivers to. But I do think his ability to run could bring challenges, especially in short yardage situations. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with that. And that's the thing, regardless of coach, right, regardless of era, quarterback run has been Ohio State's Achilles heel. Um, and if Jim Knowles can stop that from being the Achilles heel, build a statue because – no one else has been able to stop that. And a part of it is not, you know, a negative for Ohio State, right? A part of it is just... It's a hard thing to stop. Quarterback run is hard to stop, right? Yeah. That's why they run. Like, it's it's uh, it's like having 12 against 11 when the quarterback is not just stuck in the pocket. He's not a statue, right? So, um, yeah, I think that's going to be interesting. I think that's uh, the big thing for me, right? And you started to allude to it, is... It doesn't matter. First down doesn't matter. Second down doesn't matter. But 
what do they do on third down, right? Like, is he picking up long third downs with his legs? Is is he is he scrambling for touchdowns in the red zone? Like, that's really where it's hurt, right? Uh, you get a couple sacks, it's, it's third and 11. And because you think they're going to pass, you let them pick up 15 yards. We've seen it before, right? We've seen it a lot. We've seen it just about every season. So that's going to be very interesting because I do think the pass rush is going to be better. Um, but scrambling are they going to let him escape? Yeah. Yeah, and you know, one of the one of the clips I highlighted was him picking up a third and like fourteen, just scrambling to the sideline. Like that happened last year quite a bit for him. Instead of throwing, making an ill-advised passing decision. So, I think elusiveness is how I describe his running style. Like he's not the shiftiest. He's not the most powerful. He just has good balance. He's willing to stick his nose into it, and like he's hard to bring down in the pocket like one of the plays I believe it was George Karloftis got his arms on him he broke that tackle so he's a guy that is not going and he might go down a little bit more because he's a starter but last year he was trying to gain extra yards he was trying to do all that stuff I don't know how much you could take that out of a player who's done that his whole career so when you have the opportunities you have to get hats on him and you got to get him hit and make him want to run less yeah, because because that's definitely uh, that is definitely both a positive and a negative when your quarterback is fighting for extra yards. Yeah, and I will be honest. I know I don't want to put this out there, but I'm not, I'm not even going to say it. You know where I was going. It's just the way they yeah. treat quarterbacks outside the pocket should not be the same they, as they treat them inside the pocket. And I think you guys can know what I'm alluding to here. And they need to treat them like a running player outside the pocket. Like once he decides he's a runner. He needs to be treated as such. And uh, you guys know what I'm saying. I'm not going to put the word out there. (laughs) The T word. I'm not going to put it out there. Nope. Not saying it. Speaking of the T word, there's a a, a T word review in uh, Penn State versus Purdue. And I think he's out of there, folks. Yeah. Just a a stupid, stupid play. Yeah, just unnecessary. Yeah, it's for sure. Yeah, it's for sure. It's it's on an incomplete pass. What are you doing? It's on the ground. It wasn't a fumble. It was like stupid football awareness. Like, come on. That's honestly why I was saying it. I'm not bringing it up. Okay. We're good. We got it. We're we're, we're on the same page. Uh, Next thing on the list. There's a lot of things that we don't say on this show. I really hope people, you know, this one's easy, but in general, we go through a bunch of shows. If someone someone jumped on in July and it's like, he must not be named, they wouldn't know. (laughs) You got to go back to the January shows for that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, Honestly, probably like December and November shows, I think we started that. Well, he was still coaching. Yeah, it's just out of here. All right. Next on the list, um, injuries on the OL and and receiving room. We've mentioned this kind of throughout. I don't think you need to spend a lot of time here. They only have one legitimately healthy one at receiver in Lorenzo Styles, and the rest of them have just been so banged up throughout camp. And I think that's going to be something because they're already not explosive. Now you're telling me that they're all like kind of banged up and hurt. Like, that's not and, and, that's not good for a first year starting quarterback to not even really feel comfortable in who he's going to have out there week one. No, and and I, I'm not trying to disparage him, right? But but Lorenzo Styles, who 
was their best wide receiver regardless. The the guy who got injured wasn't the best wide receiver. I'm pretty sure it was Styles. He's an Ohio kid who I'm not even sure he had an Ohio State offer. I want to know what class and he was in. I believe he was in the uh, Fleming class. So I, he's not that old. Then he was the year after, which was a mecca and that group. So yeah, this is his second year. I think he's two years older than Sonny, and then Sonny's reclassified. So I think they're one year behind each other in college. Yeah, I think so, this is his. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think. Regardless, I think like, he last year, he didn't fit into the plans with the last two receiving classes. And yeah, he was a good player. Uh, I'm not gonna say like I'm not gonna sit here and lie to you guys and say hey he sucks. Like he's a solid receiver. He's just like. Like you need more than one guy, especially when your one guy's solid and he's not like, like a Jackson Smith and Jigba. Like you need a couple guys, and I don't know if they have that. Yeah, he was a he was a four star. Uh, he was rated number one fifteen nationally in the class of twenty twenty one. But uh, if he was a guy, like like he's from Pickerington Central. Yeah, you you don't think the staff got to see him? Yeah, no, I'm not. I mean, they definitely so, did. So I I, I, I I, really borderline on this, like, talking bad about people because at the end of the day, I want everyone to succeed and I want everyone to make it to the NFL and get super rich and all this other kind of stuff. But also you kind of have to be true, right? If you're a wide receiver that is five minutes away from the program and you're supposedly yeah. 115 in the country. He's going to want to show. He's going to want to show out. And I don't even. I'm just saying he's not that good. You took it another way, but yeah, you know what? He's gonna want to show out though, and like, as much as like, yeah. I mean, that's like the same thing with like Michigan players in the '90s. They just wanted to beat Ohio State because they go. Like, oh, Michigan Ohio State. players in the 2000s. Yeah, well, yeah. So I, I have a question. Uh, is there any? It's the same question for two different position groups. Is there anyone in their wide receiver room who would play on Ohio State's? Uh, no, without a doubt, like Often. not even like Lorenzo Styles is probably the one guy. Like Braden Lindsay is pretty good, uh, but he's also kind of similar to that level of Lorenzo Styles, where it's like he had 32 catches last year, 350 yards. I'm gonna say part of that's because they had Jack Cohn throwing the football, and they didn't really want to throw the football that much, but. They don't really have that guy. They don't have a game breaker. Their biggest game breaking receiving targets, Michael Mayer. And I don't think they have a receiver that I don't think Lorenzo would be in the five man rotation. Honestly, I think Egbuka, Fleming, uh, Marvin, Jackson Smith and Jigba, you know, that group would be the same if he was at Ohio State or not. And if that's your best wide receiver, that's not great. Because second question. What what's the second question? And then I'll say offensive line. Uh I think interior wise, I, I think Jarrett Patterson, if healthy, would start at Ohio State. Um, he's the guard, right? Y- yeah. I, I think that's you think it. he'd start over Matthew Jones? I do I don't think he's starting over Donovan Jackson. I don't think yeah, but I think he would I think he would start at over- over Matthew Jones? Yeah. Okay. And then you've got, uh, I mean, I, yeah, and outside of that, I don't really see it. Maybe, like, I think Blake Fisher's really good. Their right tackle, I think their tackles are really good. But I, I, I think that would, I'd call that a wash, honestly. 
You think tackles a wash? Yeah, I think. Well, maybe I think I'd say Ohio State's probably a little bit better just because I think Dewan Jones' game experiences beats their tackles, and I think Paris Johnson Jr.'s beats their tackles. But I think their combination makes them pretty lethal because they're like mirror images of each other, like six six, three hundred thirty pounds, like they're big dudes. Yeah. Like, if you're drawing an offensive lineup from a size standpoint and you just want it to look crazy on a depth chart, Notre Dame's got a really good offensive line. Yeah, I knew the wide receiver question. I didn't know what you would say for offensive line. Uh, I thought that was interesting. They're going to test. If Rocco Spindler's playing, man, as a sophomore, I think that opens that, – that's, that's something. That's something. That's something Ohio State can take advantage of. It's a, it's a young offensive line on the outside, so it's really going to be a huge opportunity for – Jack, JT, Zach, uh, you know, the list of defensive ends. Like, they have an opportunity, and I'm excited to see what they do with it because they're playing a lot of inexperience at tackle. Like, those guys do have game reps, but they're not starters, returning starters. They're good players, but it's it's really a question of – it's going to be a question of will, honestly. Yeah. I, I think this game is really interesting because, like, overall, better coaches, better roster, right? I think that goes to Ohio State, which typically breaks ties, right? But I think that this is really interesting because I think if I'm looking at it objectively, right, I think a lot of our strengths match their weaknesses and vice versa, right? If you ask what is the biggest question on offense, it's the offensive line. You can have confidence in it, but you have a first-time starter at left tackle who was a guard last year. You have a fifth-year senior and his first time starting. And, hey, granted, again, multiple Ohio State offensive linemen have done the 15th-year senior to Pro Bowl. Like, you know, like that is yep. a thing because it's hard to break out. But you have a fifth-year senior who's never started before. You have a re- you have a true sophomore, never started before. And then you have – and then so you only have two players really with experience and whatever. So – and you have their defensive line. And then for us, right – Despite the lack of depth, our secondary is a strength. Their wide receivers are not, right? Um, Our linebackers are a weakness. Their tight ends are a strength. I think there's a lot of, like, our wide receivers – I think the only potential kind of like it's, it's a lot of strength in, on weaknesses on both sides. I, I think the only potential quote unquote strength on strength would be our wide receivers versus their secondary. And again, I say quote unquote because our wide receivers are ungodly, but their secondary does have some talent. And yeah, I kind of st- think you know, maybe their secondary, it's less talent because they run that cover four match. So they just need to be consistent discipline and not let anything get behind them. And if they could do that, they could get a little irritating for Ohio State because, you know, Ryan Day loves to get pass happy and go downfield. Right. Yeah. So I don't think there's a single coverage in college that can stop Jackson Smith and Jigba, but, you know. No. That's a different conversation. Yeah. And that's like – so – and that's kind of like one thing, you know, that cover four match. I know it's not in the show plan, but – we saw Northwestern runs a traditional cover four, and we saw what Ohio State had to do with Justin Fields. They ran for uh, big, like, what was it? Trey Sermon ran for the record. Like, that's why established him to run so important, because it's hard to be Like, cover four, when it's done well, you can't – you don't get a lot of shots downfield. Like, when it's done like Michigan State or Purdue, well, you just do a quick little play action, and you got the whole – second half of the field to throw football in two. Um, you establish a run, that opens everything up. And 
you need to be able to rely on the run against these types of coverages. But yeah, I'm just that's that's like you're right. The strength on strength aspect, I think. It's a defense coach versus an offensive coach. Like, that is fun. That is what – that's a storyline that football is built on, honestly, and that's exciting. Yeah, I I, I don't know. I don't know if now's a good time to bring this up, but I've said it before and I'll say it again. <sighs> I'm not sure. I'm, I'm just not sure if Marcus Freeman's a good defense – is a good defensive coordinator. I'm not saying he's not. I'm just saying there's no definitive proof. He's definitely he got moved up very, very fast. And Cincinnati's defense, for anyone who hasn't heard this argument, Cincinnati's defense was good with him. They were good before him. They were good after him because that's Luke Fickle's defense. Yeah, his defense was not good last year. That does not mean he's not a good defensive coordinator because it was year one. But you didn't get to see a second year of him as that role because he's now he's the head coach. So, and that's what I would say all the time with people who wanted him to be Ohio State's defensive coordinator. I'm like, are you sure he's good at his job? So it's very good. It's going to be very interesting to see how the defense looks. It's going to be very interesting as a first time head coach to see how much trust is. Has he named the defensive coordinator? I think he did, right? Uh, yeah, I, I, he's not, but is he calling plays? Do you know that? I don't think, I think they're doing that Ohio State thing where they're like, uh, he like with Jim Knowles, we're like, oh, we don't know if Jim Knowles is going to be on the field or in the box, you know, that type of stuff. But but yeah, I, I, I mean, we know it's going to be Marcus Freeman's defense. It's just he's going to have his like Brian Day said it himself. He's going to have his fingerprints all over it, regardless of who's calling it, who's in charge of it. Yeah, I, I actually really don't know this. Who is their defensive coordinator? Hmm. I don't know. Al Golden. Oh, he's a, yeah. Okay, I remember that now. Former Miami Temple coach, Houston, right? Yeah, he's he's a he he coached in the NFL the past few years. Uh, he came back to college. I think he had like a show clause in college after Miami. Uh, Interesting. So I don't even know anything. about My character him. guy they're bringing in. No offense, Al Golden, <laughs> but he. So yeah. this is my memory of Al Golden. I was pretty young when he was like just getting started at Miami, and he'd wear a short sleeve like button up shirt because it's Miami and it's hot. But he'd wear a tie still, and I'm like, dude, just wear the dry fit polos like everybody else. Like, what are you trying to prove here? It's 95 degrees in Miami and it's humid. Like that's not comfortable. And then by the by halftime, he'd have you. It would he'd obviously have a new shirt on. <laughs> yeah, I don't know much about the guy. Honestly, I recognize the name, but uh, I, I don't. I can't say that I know much about him. Based, I, I, you don't know this because I guess it hasn't been said anywhere. Based on the name. Are you are you believing that he's calling plays, or do you um, think that, uh, so, that um, it's going to be Marcus? Or have you heard something that I haven't? A big reason Marcus Freeman brought him in was because he wanted an older coach. Because he had him and Tommy Reese, who were younger coaches, he wanted an older coach with a head coaching background and experience that he could rely on to relay his messages. So I think from that sense, I think – I think he's going to trust him with it, but I I don't know. Honestly, I couldn't tell you. I, I mean, if I was a head coach, especially one like Marcus Freeman, who's in his first year and not established, I'd want to have control over everything. And I don't know if I'd be able to put my ego aside, but I feel like 
that's been one of the strengths I've seen from Marcus Freeman about his staff is he really wants them to flourish and be themselves and be the guy. And he said that's the big transition he wants to make from Brian Kelly, which it felt like it was such a tightly bolted ship that no one really had a lot of freedom. Yeah. Dangerous that, game. But, but that could be good and bad Dangerous when game. all of your coordinators are 25. Yeah. That's why, and as a twenty-seven-year-old, I'm very happy for them that they reach this level so young, right? Like, I'm I'm entry level. Okay, that's a lot. I'm no longer entry level in my career, but I am not the equivalent of what Tommy Reese is. Yeah, at you're not right? a dean um, of your a dean of a college yet. Like. No, <laughs> no, no, I'm not. So, so I, it's very it's great that they've reached that point. But the other side, right? We haven't talked about this in a while. The other side of it is can they do it like genuinely can they do it can Marcus Freeman is a young coach he's never been a head coach before Tommy Reese is a young coach he's only had one year as an offensive coordinator and according to you and Freeman it was under Brian Kelly who kind of had the yeah, range so he Kelly's hasn't had an offensive coach it was what you know wanted. like exactly like um the list goes on and on Al Washington not a great coach hasn't been a defensive line coach in a long time great recruiter young coach uh james laurinitis have they ever even is he's he a graduate assistant yeah he's a graduate assistant that's like that's kind of cheating uh, honestly like the guy who's yeah, made like 40 million in the nfl as a graduate assistant like right i mean but hey we did that we did that with brian uh, Hartline. we did that yeah we did it come on we, we can't like say too it. much I about mean, it we, let's <laughs> you know, live your life like we did I, that but it is like you could bring him on and uh, I, I wait is he a graduate assistant yeah do they force him to go back to school? I, that's my question. That's one of my questions. You can't be a graduate assistant if you're not in the master's program. I was program. looking he for his name on Notre Dame's website because I'm like, what's his role? Because I knew that was going to come up. And it was defensive graduate assistant. And I don't know, like, the limit on those. I, I wonder if he wanted to go to school. You can't be a GA. A GA as as it says, I, I really is, think they I, just I, had to. A, he had to be a GA because like he has no prior coaching experience, and like he could be I don't an analyst, though, Dame, right? Maybe I don't know. I mean, that would be hilarious if they were like, "Hey, do you want to be on our coaching staff?" And there's no easy yes, grad. Cool. You have to go back to school. <laughs> like, like you've made all this money. You 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 went to the NFL. You I don't know how much he was making on you know, she hates go or whatever radio show he was on, but like, go be a student just so you can get into coaching. Yeah. That's it's, hilarious. It's tough. Uh, that's, 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 like he's working for free, I guess. Right. Like gets the GA. Okay. <laughs> it cracks me up. Honestly. Oh like, man, that's crazy. Like, I mean, good for him. Maybe he wanted to go back to school, right? I'm, I, I work at a community college. You are never too young to go to school. I, it literally gets confusing sometimes because, like, one second I'll talk to an 18 year old, and then the next minute I have like a 55 year old student, and I'm like, "Do you work here? Do you not?" Like, sometimes it gets confusing. So, like, yeah, and you don't want to be disrespectful be, uh, and be like, "Oh, yeah, like my office," or like, yeah, exactly. Like, I'm not saying he's too old to go to school. I just think it's hilarious if they NFL couldn't have player. found another ride, like another job for him where he could just break into coaching. They're like, "Yeah, welcome to the staff. Um, I hope you like studying. Yeah, <laughs> I hope you like going to required math." You're gonna get a master's from Notre Dame. 
that's funny. Oh, man, that's free. Yeah. All right, got a few more fast hitters here before we get into the Ohio State wins if. Uh, biggest storylines for the Buckeyes, some more. Safe Light Field is fast, according to Ryan Day. Only reason I added that one, it's turf, it's new, fun, great. We've talked about this a lot. Safe Light Field, still weird to me that they gave the field naming rights away. I'm not going to call it that. It's weird. It's weird. Like, it's just like uh, when I was looking at the Notre Dame website, when I'm looking at like team websites, the head coach is always like uh, Orville Redenbacher, old rich alumni head coach <laughs> of the Ohio State football program. And no, hold on. I have to read this because I was just I was just on there. This is Notre Dame's coaching staff. OK, the Dick Corbett head football coach. Bob Henton, defensive coordinator slash linebackers. John and Bob, John and Bobby Arlotta, family offensive coordinator. Uh, and then so special teams, offensive line, running backs, cornerbacks, broke boys, right? Broke boys. Nobody wanted to, nobody wanted to support those. But then you have to like have the person who's paying your salary the title of your job. Yeah, yeah. So, so broke boys, special team coordinator, offensive line, running backs, and cornerbacks. Those broke boys. Nobody wanted to sponsor them. Uh, and then you have the Pat and Jana Alliers, defensive backs, coach slash safeties, tight ends, wide receivers, broke boys. Then you have, oh my God, the Bob and Leslie Moore family defensive line coach slash defensive run game coordinator. That's Al Washington. Like what? And like this is literally like this is on their badge. That is their top. Title. Yeah. Like their title is not, they want, it, it, school like, building. They have Dick Corbett head coach. They have uh, <laughs> the, the family. Yeah, that's so funny. Yeah, that, and that's like every right. college program now. Like Ohio State doesn't do that yet, right? And, uh, let's find out. Let's find out. Bad show planning I here. I don't. I don't think, think so. Ohio State's done that yet. I don't know if we will, honestly. But I mean, hey, but if we're gonna knows, give us this, they might this already field, right? have. And I don't like. I don't pay attention. I know the first one I really remember doing this. This happening at was. Uh, I have Ryan Day's dot number right here. Day point six zero three at osu.edu. It's public information because he's the head football coach at Ohio State and he's a public employee. Uh, you guys can find my dot number, Renny dot five. So I dox me and Ryan Day on the show. I'm gonna take that out probably, but maybe not. I'm not. I'm pretty lazy. Uh, but I don't even yeah, know what you're saying. We don't have, um, nope. we don't have those. Thank God, not yet. We'll see. Nope. If the field, nope. if the field's up for grabs, I'm sure. Yeah, I know. We're gonna uh, have I know. The, Mel Deschadenstein head coach. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I know Mel Tucker's one because uh, that there are two. Uh, there are two. People, I don't know whose name it is or if they split it, but there are two. Uh, alumni actually paying his salary, oh, so that's yeah. not actually on the on the Michigan State payroll. But they're um, just I only know this because I'm, yeah, I only know this because I'm a Colts fan. The offensive coordinator at Stanford is called the Andrew Luck offensive coordinator, and it's funny because the guy who's the offensive coordinator at Stanford is the quarterback who Andrew Luck beat out for a job Man. and so the dude like during the luck series and some other stuff he always jokes he's like i can never get andrew luck out of my life his name is literally in my title 
after he came in and beat me for the job when I was a college quarterback. Yeah. So that's funny. So I know that one. But yeah. So that is funny. That that would suck. You're like finally making a name. For <laughs> it would suck if you didn't like him. Like you know, I, I think Andrew Luck was so good that it was like okay, yeah. this was inevitable. I was listening. But if it was like you. a really close competition, and then you had to wear his name, I, I think I'd be a little bit upset. I about was listening that. to a podcast off topic one more time before we go to our final topics. Uh, Bruce Arians was on it and he was talking about the quarterbacks he's coached. He's coached Ben Roethlisberger, he's coached Tom Brady, he's coached a long list of NFL legends at quarterback. Best quarterback he said he's ever seen, the best quarterback he's ever coached, Andrew Luck. Of course it was. And I honestly, I don't think people realize how bad those Colts teams would have been if Andrew Luck wasn't the quarterback. Single-handedly willed them the 12 wins to 11 and 12 wins. Single-handedly. As a Colts fan, I know this. Andrew, like, I mean, no disrespect to anyone at all. But if Andrew Luck was still a quarterback today, there are maybe at max two quarterbacks at consensus who would be better than him. I'm giving him maybe – no, no, no. Not Josh Allen. I'm giving a maybe oh, to I'm Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, so okay, three, three. I'm giving a maybe to Tom. I'm giving a maybe to Patrick Mahomes. I'm giving a maybe to uh, Aaron Rodgers, and I'm giving a maybe to Tom Brady. Obviously, historically, Tom Brady, yes. yes. But I mean, like individually, going into each season. Max three that you could say is a better quarterback than him, and I'm not sure you can give three. I'm not sure that I'm not sure that Patrick Mahomes is better than what Andrew Luck would be right now. I'm just not. But Josh Allen, Justin Herbert, Joe Burrow, De- uh, Deshaun Watson, all those other guys who are really good quarterbacks—they're not touching him in his prime. No. He was a special, special talent, and they literally ruined him. Put and him I will into never forget him. The weekly battering ram that he was just never going to overcome. Uh, yeah, that was a fun off-topic, though. I love talking legends. And Andrew Luck, I mean, the last time Stanford was really good, Andrew Luck, you know. Not Ohio State, but bringing it back to Ohio State, you know a quarterback who is that level? C.J. Stroud. Yes, I do have to say, because I have to get it in when you can get when you can get a shot in on your rival. Noted quarterback guru, guru Jim, Har- uh, Jim Harbaugh, is only a quarterback guru because he lucked into Andrew Luck. Uh, speaking of, he didn't want Andrew Luck. He tried to recruit RG3 over top of Andrew Luck, and one of them is definitely the better quarterback, oh, yeah. although their, their, their careers is, is intertwined, you know, Heisman with all, all that other kind of stuff. Um so the, the the noted quarterback guru who is ruining his quarterback legacy and, and is ruining his team by not picking one, uh, yeah, he's only had one good quarterback in his career, and he didn't recruit him. Just he, he was given to him when he got that job. So I, I'm not sure. I think it's I think now it is officially time after he after he couldn't really do it in the NFL after five star after five star Shea Patterson all these other guys JJ McCarthy can't outright win the job over Cade McNamara he couldn't get uh he couldn't get Lloyd Carr's grandson he couldn't get the other quarterback he couldn't get the other quarterback who, uh, just team? start JJ come on yeah. what, what's the other quarterback's name that he didn't get out of Michigan oh didn't get Dante Moore he didn't get Dante Moore. He didn't get Lloyd Carr's grandson, which is crazy. Could you imagine? He was 30 minutes away from the university. Could you like, – like, who who is Lloyd Carr of Ohio State? They don't Jim give me a coach, but who is Lloyd? 
Okay, Jim Trestle wasn't an athlete. But in, but in general, could you imagine if, if you couldn't get Jim Trestle's grandson yeah. at Ohio State? And like the way could you imagine like- what we would say about Ryan Day if he if Jim Trestle's grandson wouldn't wouldn't go to Ohio State? Yeah. And he was a five star? Stop it. Yeah. People were mad that we wouldn't that we potentially that we potentially weren't gonna offer Will Smith son. And he's like a low three star. And I think he's gonna be better than his ranking. I really do. But like he wasn't like a five star. And people were like, oh, we're not gonna get Will Smith's son. Like, like come on. So I think it's, it's time, time to stop calling him a quarterback guru. Especially with this handling. Like he quoted the Bible. And he said, Ugh. we're going to give Cade McNamara Colorado State. Um, which, <clears throat> Colorado State, I like Jay Norvell. They can sneak up on him. Um, and then they're going to give J.J. McCarthy the easier game against Hawaii, who almost, like, as a program was done. Like, as of, like, December of last year, that's how bad Todd Graham was. That's how bad the roster got. And you're going to tell me you don't have your quarterback decided? And, and 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 the thing about it, right? If you can't decide in camp, how can we have any confidence, especially as Ohio State fans who have seen this before, that you can decide in season? Yeah. And people are forgetting that he said this. He literally said that there's a chance that both quarterbacks play into the season. Yeah. I'm telling you now, it's if they don't pick a quarterback by the Maryland game. There's a chance they lose it. Yeah, it's incredibly hard. And yes, there was times last year where they used it to great effect, you know. And there was times, but it was it, never a quarterback competition. Yeah. JJ knew you, I'm getting these three player. snaps, and then I'm taking my ass back to the bench. Yeah, and that is no longer the case, according to you know the quarterback guru. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's bold, and you know you take a guy who couldn't throw in spring, and now you've got an even competition. Uh, mm. I don't think it's an even competition. I just think it's to give Kate the benefit of the doubt. And, you know, that's the thing. Kate's consistent. I think he could end up just being, like, better than J.J., who's a young quarterback who hasn't taken many snaps and, like, take this job back. But, like, I really don't feel that is how Jim Harbaugh wants it to go. And, you know, Jim Harbaugh is always a guy who heart on honesty and like you need to be straightforward up front that's how you get players to like you it's like i'm sure that's why there's so many recruits flocking over there after your most successful season yeah i'm sure that's how your quarterbacks want to handle the situation i'm sure that's what the receivers want to see yeah and one of the quarterbacks who is who was voted captain yeah like we know who the players are and and I don't think you can be a quarterback guru if you haven't had any first round picks in in years at your position right Um, Andrew Luck would have been a first round pick at any school he went to Andrew Luck would have been a first round pick at Central Michigan. Yeah, he was going to do that at, regardless. So let's he doesn't fair for that. Like, I think he did a good job with Colin Kaepernick in the NFL, but I think he caught everybody off guard by bringing some college stuff to the NFL. Yeah, more so than him um, actually developing a good and like we. I mean, I don't know how many people remember Colin Kaepernick at Nevada, but that guy was different. 
yeah, I'll open them. I mean, like, yeah, different, different. Uh, people, people forget what Colin Kaepernick could do, man. We don't, we don't have to get in that because I have some feelings on that. But yeah, uh, Colin Kaepernick was different. But yeah, I, I just yeah, think that. Yeah. You know, yeah. I apologize. I, I feel like I've taken us on a couple of tangents, but I just had to get a shot in at the rival. Football's here. It's, you yeah, can't. We, let, you we will probably take is, a shot a week at them. So just be ready. It'll be. Yeah. Oh, that's rough enough. Since we're since we're quoting the Bible, Woody Hayes, chapter two, verse six. Chapter two, verse sixteen. I'm not from Columbus, so I had to remember if the area code was. No, that's Cleveland. Jesus yeah, Christ. Yeah. Uh, six, Woody Hayes. Yeah. Woody Hayes, chapter six, verse 14. I knew that didn't sound right. Thou shalt never pass up a chance to take a crap on the rival. That's true. 100%. Uh, all right. Let's get into it. Ohio State wins. I have an offense. I, I have a defense. You have one. I'll start with my <laughs> offensive one. Uh, if they do not turn the ball over. That's where Ohio State wins if they don't have any turnovers, plain and simple. Like, I honestly, like, throw a turnover on downs. Like, if you punt, fine. Uh, it's going to happen. I'm not setting myself up to watch them go 16 for 16 touchdown drives. But you need to come away with points when you get to the other side of the field. Field goals, touchdowns, doesn't matter. Uh, you cannot have empty possessions. No turnover on downs in that half, and then no interceptions or fumbles. Because you cannot give Notre Dame life and keep them in the game. Yeah, uh, I uh, I agree. I think it's interesting that you went that way because Ohio State. Like I thought, like if if I would have known this was on the show plan before I looked at it, I would assume you would have put something that was a weakness for them last year, uh, and this was not a weakness for them. But it's still a very valid point, especially with Brandon Joseph back there. Brandon Joseph had a really bad year last year, so Northwestern you know, as a whole though. We'll, we'll, yeah, so we'll see if he can uh, if he can. Revitalize. I've said that word twice. I don't even know I mean, if I've used it right either time. If he can revitalize his career, rejuvenate is actually the better word in this situation. I need to rejuvenate right? my knees, he can, but he can re- rejuvenate his career. Um, revitalize but, uh, him, yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, either yeah, way. Yeah. yeah, I think that. We're using big words. Yeah. This first we, we, we're, season. Using, we're restudying for the ACT right now as we're doing the show. Uh, repetition. Yeah. And then maximization. Uh, all right, your key to victory. <laughs> no, let's do yours all again because right. you have a you have a real one. Mine right. is not real. Uh, my second one: if they get pressure on the quarterback, I think this one kind of weighs what you were thinking of what I was doing. And I was like thinking to myself this week: I'm like, you know, like I would love Chase Young for this game, absolutely no questions. But I'm like, this is like the type of game where Tyreek Smith would show up. And just absolutely be a bell cow, the pass rusher, and then just disappear for the next seven games. Yeah. So yeah. If we had Eric Smith here with JT and uh, Jack, I'd be like, pass rushers on elite. Here we go. But I think if they get pressure on Tyler Buckner, he got pressured quite a bit last year and forced some bad throws, threw some picks. Um, you know, for only throwing, I want to say, I want to think it was like 40 passes. He had three interceptions. So you get pressure on him, uh, force turnovers, create turnovers, create tough throws, create tough throwing lanes, you know, just make it hard on him. Yeah, I, I think this is a really good one. Um, and I think it's interesting because um, 
I'm not saying it has to be this game, right? It doesn't have to be this game. But think about it. If we had second year Joey, second year Nick, second or year second Chase. year Chase, what would they have done in this game? What did Chase now, do against TCU? I think he had multiple sacks. Yeah, like I'm predicting a Joey, Nick, Chase type jump for JT, right? Yep. It doesn't have to be this game because the season is long. It could be next game. He could have three sacks against an easy opponent and then really just start to kind of build into it. But if he does it this game, his lore starts, right? Oh, yeah. Like, like think the of, legend's getting built. So, and so this is the game that Chase would have done it. This is the game that Joey would have done it. This is the game that Nick would have done it. And I understand that he may not be them, but if anyone can be them, it's him. So... This is going to be a very important game. And I think I'm hoping, I'm wishing, I'm not expecting, because I'm just not, because of what happened last year, that yeah. this could be a breakout game for yeah. JT or Jack. Listen, I, I do yeah. not want to forget yeah, about we're Jack. We're not discounting Jack. I, I He's going to be a lot because I think JT is the better one. But either one for them to start their campaign, but especially JT for me personally, because he's the one that I'm predicting to have 10 plus sacks. This needs to be like a a two sack, two and a half tackle for a loss type performance. Just like that guy was dominating. Like that guy was everywhere. Anytime they need to play. Rocco couldn't guard him. Like they needed Jarrett. Like they put him inside on third down because I think that's going to happen. And he just, and he just effed up the guard. Like, yeah, I, I think, that if this is one of those games, ooh, I'm gonna be in. Con- I'm gonna be. I'm gonna be out of control. Yeah, and honestly, well, we set the sack total pretty high. I can't remember the exact number, but we have high expectations for the pass rushing group, interior, exterior. I'm really excited to see Tyreek to Ron. I think that's something that goes underappreciated because I think those two move the pocket and collapse the pocket pretty well. So. It's just one of those games. I think this is the truest test for the defensive line they're going to get all year, honestly, in my opinion, from a pass rushing standpoint. Because it's a running quarterback. It's a quarterback who can run. I I can't definitively say he's a running quarterback yet. But it's going to be big. It's going to be a big challenge. It's going to be fun to watch. That's what we're here for. We're here to watch helmets clash and – We'll see. All right. Uh, we got time. Let's go. Jordan, Ohio State wins if. They show up. Yeah. That's- Here, here's the thing, right? I've been, I, I haven't gone too deep into this because I've said it in every show. I've said it in multiple shows anytime Notre Dame is brought up. Notre Dame is not a good team this year. They're a joke of a program. They're not a good team most years, which is why they haven't won an FBS game in forever. And I've been trying to be cordial. I've been trying to talk real football, ups and downs, players and things like that. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, if a team who has who has almost never beaten a good opponent, who has um, who hasn't won an FBS team playoff in a while, under really good coaches, their last two coaches have are better coaches currently than Marcus Freeman, 
not better recruiters, but they're better coaches. And that is fact. Brian Kelly, despite the fact that most people don't like him, which is understandable, is a top 10 coach in the nation, which is how he got the LSU job. And I fully expect him to win a national championship at LSU because I could win one at LSU. Yeah. Winning a national Edward championship, Trump at, LSU won a championship at LSU. In, in America. You, you just have to be competent and you barely have to be that because I don't think Ed Ogeron was a good coach. I'm not even sure. Or this might be me, but I'm not even like completely. 100% sure Ed Orgeron could read right now. And he won a national well, championship. So random, but is is Brian Kelly's the best coach LSU's had since Nick Saban, right? I would say so, yeah. Like, I think Les Miles isn't a good coach. He's terrible. He only won at LSU. Yeah, because me and you, offensive and defensive coordinator right now, obviously you're offense, I'm defense. I hope you're okay with that because yeah, you played fine. safety. I'm good with that. Uh, uh, we could win a national championship at LSU in three. If you give us five years, you let us recruit New Orleans and Baton Rouge in that area, and then we get a couple guys. I think I could. I think we'd be personable enough, and then we just have to lay down a plan. Yeah. Like, hey, you could be Easy. Jamar Chase. Hey, you could be this guy. You could be, and then boom, we're national champs. Sorry, Ohio yeah, State easily, fans. Easily. Yeah. So, so, so back to the point. If a program who has a first-time head coach, a 29-year-old offensive coordinator, hasn't won the big game. Under a top ten coach in the nation who left for a better job, who who left the program. By the way, you don't leave a program if if you think they have everything. Um, injuries on the wide receiver, injuries on the offensive line. I can go on and on and on and on. If that team can come into Columbus and beat us, Ryan Day needs to get packing. I don't think the only thing that concerns me about this game, truthfully, now I'm putting on my Ohio State fan hat. I I did, you know, an hour and however many minutes of this show as trying to give real football insight. As an Ohio State fan, the only thing that concerns me about this game is that Ohio State loves to lose out-of-conference home games. They just love it. Virginia Tech, uh, freaking Oregon last year. That is the only – nothing on field. About Texas. Notre Dame's Oklahoma. Oklahoma. We go to Oklahoma and beat them, and then Baker Mayfield comes up here and we lose. Like, nothing about this team except the fact that Ohio State loves to lose this game scares me. Just start getting so excited for, me, for next year, guys. No, Ohio State wins this game if they show up. If they show up. Yeah. And I don't they, mean like, if they are They're, they're going to be there. If they show up. Like, if they show up ready to compete and say, hey, this is our stadium, and we're going to make sure you know that, Notre Dame. Like, that's. They'll win if they do that, and I agree. That guy's lined up offsides. They didn't call it, but he was definitely offsides. And then he fumbled. Come on! I can't start off. I'm sorry. I can't. I'm I'm not that interested in this game, but I need to beat Dante again in our pick segment, and I'm pick Purdue. And Aiden O'Connell is already making me look like a jackass because he doesn't look like he could be a first-round pick. Uh, I picked Penn State, too, so. Oh, God. Down to uh, I don't know. Penn State's not a second half team, so we'll see. <laughs> you're right. You're uh, right. You're right. You're right. It's fine. Um, so yeah, that's that's my little. I had to I had to throw on the fan hat for a little bit. That's my little rant. I, All right. Yeah. We had to do yours first. You. Yours was real, but they they win if they show up. I'm with you. Uh, final thoughts here. One thing you're most excited about for the college football season? Ohio oh. State college football in general. You name it. So you went season. I was talking about Ohio State. 
And the reason why I even asked this question is because I just want to talk about Mike Hall for a second. Oh, yeah. I just, think, I just need 45 seconds. I'm not going to do the Kai Stokes thing. You all know how I feel about Kai Stokes. That, that's, that is understood. What's understood doesn't need to be explained. There is... It's like a whisper, right? It's like a little murmur. It's like... It's like the the morning tide is starting to come in. It's like the bubble is about to burst, and I, I think that Mike Hall is behind the scenes, right? He's the backup dancer that's about to that's about to be the lead singer, right? He's he's um he's uh oh he's Beyonce, Destiny's Child. Yeah, that's a good one. That's not the one I was going with, but that's a really good one. Um, he's Teddy Pendergrass on Harold Melvin and the Blue Notes. That's the one I was looking for. And and you hear his voice and you think it's Harold because his name is Harold Melvin in the Blue Notes. But it's really Teddy. And then he goes on a solo career and he becomes a star. Yeah. And I'm 27, so I shouldn't know this. But anyone that listens to this that's like 40 is going to love this. I don't even know what and you're just saying. But I, I, I'm I love the conviction, though. <laughs> I'm just thinking like you know, Toronto. You know Vincent, is? I do not. I, I'm going to have to find you out don't? right now. Yeah. Okay. So very, very, very quick educational lessons for anyone under 30 or anyone who just doesn't listen to that type of music. Teddy Pendergrass is uh, a legendary R&B singer. Not really R&B because it's different genres in the 70s and 80s, but he's a legendary singer who back then, almost all singers, especially like black groups, black singers were in groups. And so there was a guy whose name was Harold Melvin. Uh, he started a band, Harold Melvin and the Blue Notes. And because, as you would think, his name is on it, everyone thought he was the lead singer. And this is back before YouTube. This is back before a lot of concerts and that kind of stuff. So you would buy the record. On the record, there's a bunch of people. Harold Melvin's in front. Everyone thought that the voice that they heard that sung almost all the songs was Harold Melvin. And then they break up because... It wasn't him. It was actually Teddy Pendergrass, who was significantly better and literally a superstar. He goes on a solo career and is one of the best singers ever. Hey, I'm going to throw him on after this. So, we'll see what happens. No, I'm just kidding. But it's funny that you didn't know what I was talking about. And you said Beyonce on Destiny's Child because it's the same example, except everyone yeah. knew that Beyonce. Like, if, yeah. like, if this the happened. Vincent Kelly the- Rowland. Oh, wait, that's right. Yeah, that's right, right? <laughs> Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, yeah. Uh, And Beyonce's gonna go on lemonade, all that stuff. uh, All the single ladies, it's coming, and that's my call. I wish this happened in the time of social media and music videos. He would have been Beyonce. Everyone would have known that he was the best, but he was in a group. Either way, we just wasted three minutes on that. It doesn't matter. The entire point is he is going. I just feel it in my bones that he's gonna break out and that he's gonna be a star tomorrow, and, and that he's gonna be a difference maker. And I'm. I I just I can't wait because for some reason he's he was a like he was like the 56th player in the country. Yeah, and everyone and just nobody talking about talks him. about. Him. I just remember like watching was, him like, post. He posted a video on Twitter of him doing shoulder shrugs. I'm like, that's shoulder the shoulders the shoulders themselves. That's like you can't teach that. And yeah, and if you're like me and you, whether it's because you do a podcast or because you're a sicko, and you watch all the interviews, and you, you just, his name just comes up, just comes up, he's just not comes unprovoked by a couple of different people, just comes up unprovoked, and they move them to a one because there's a lot of threes. And we don't even know what he, Kevin Wilson does. He was bringing him up. 
Yeah, he's gonna be a star, man. I, I, you can hear it in my voice. I'm excited. I, that is what I'm excited for. I can't wait. Right. Uh, and this is it. I'm most excited, and I'm just keep it short. I'm. I just want to see C.J. Stroud cook again. I think he got a bad rap last year. Uh, at times, I, I'm just excited to watch him light it up and go number one in the NFL draft. Go to New York, probably win the Heisman. Uh, but yeah, that's it. That's what I'm most excited about. And with CJ Stroud cooking, everything else comes with it. So that's what I'm excited about. Lastly, score uh, prediction. What do we got? Okay. This is the last thing I have to say. I wanted to make sure this is really stupid. I wanted to make sure I was spelling Braxton Miller's name right because I was tweeting something. And when you type in Braxton Miller, it says football wide receiver. Yeah. That's disgusting. That is. That's disrespectful. I know that's how he ended his career, but he wasn't good enough as a wide receiver to take away the fact that he was really a quarterback. But anyway, score prediction. I thought about this all day because I knew you were going to ask. And I don't believe in Tyler Buckner, but the defense is new. So I'm going to give them more points than I want to give them. And I'm going 45 to 20. Oh, you're right next to me. I say I'm 45 to 18. And I said 18 because you're like, you don't like weird scores, do you? <laughs> you I'm you always do touchdowns. And I'm like, are they never going to kick a field goal? Yeah, <laughs> I was like 45-18. That's what I said. I said it this morning. I'm like, I don't do weird scores. I'm going to show you I do some weird scores. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, that's I, I mean, it for me. All right. Uh, follow the show uh, at Bug Off Pod. We're going to be tweeting some graphics throughout the week, some more show-oriented content that we don't really talk about on here. But – It'll be fun. Make sure you're following at Book Off Pod. Uh, we'll probably both post them individually as well. So make sure you're following me at Chris Rennie CFB. And where can we find you, Jordan? You can find me on Twitter at JordanW330. And I'm getting back into my live tweeting bag. It's hashtag sicko season. Uh, we're back. Yeah. And that's it for me. Uh, I'm not going to take it from you. I just need to make sure you say it. As we head out. Go Bucks. Go Bucks. Uh, and that's it for today. <laughs>